0: This podcast contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised.
1: The communities were very clear about conflict and climate. Uh, They understand it well. They know it's one of the biggest issues that they face. It's a conflict trigger. And if there is not a conflict because of climate yet, there is a serious risk of future uh, conflicts uh, happening in the country.
2: Every day, when hundreds civilians are killed in conflict and countless more are harmed, yet their perspectives are often missing from the stories we tell about
0: war. This is the Civilian Protection Podcast, a monthly podcast produced by Civic and PAX. Hey everyone, this is Mark Arlasco, military advisor from PAX.
2: And I'm Annie Scheel, Senior Advisor for the United States at Center for Civilians in Conflict, or CIVIC. Our organizations work in conflicts around the world to protect civilians caught in war.
0: In our second episode of this season, we explored the ways that the war in Ukraine is damaging the environment and the short- and long-term costs of looming environmental disasters for civilians, both in Ukraine and in other wars around the world.
2: Today, we're back for part two of our exploration of the relationship between conflict, climate, and the environment. But this time, we'll bring you to Iraq and Yemen to explore the reverse, how climate change can serve as a driver of conflict and, in turn, affect civilians. To understand this linkage, I sat down with two of my own colleagues, Ali al-Asaf, Civic's Iraq country director, and Dina al-Mamun, our Yemen country director, both of whom have been exploring and documenting the ways that climate is already affecting civilians in their countries, what the future might hold, and what we can do about it.
1: I'm and I'm Yemen's country director for civilians in conflict.
3: Uh, I am al uh, the country director of Iraq at the Center for Civilians in Conflict.
2: So both of your programs have recently completed research into the connections between climate change and conflict. And of course, by extension, the protection of civilians, in Iraq and Yemen. Now when most people think about climate change, I don't think uh, that's a very obvious connection, the connection between climate change and conflict. So can you start by talking about that linkage? You know, What do we know about that link? And what were you seeing in Iraq and Yemen that led you to this research?
3: So when when Civic in Iraq started uh, looking into the protection of civilians issues, the climate change-related issues was not part of this horizon or not part of the package of issues that we were trying to address and tackling. However, uh, through engaging with communities to empower them to be the advocate of their own protection, CIVIC found that civilians and communities in uh, most parts of Iraq, uh, Iraq, which, uh, which uh, is already in a fragile uh, post-conflict state, those civilians and communities stand to suffer from uh, intensified outbreak of violence, increased protection threats, and inter- and intracommunal tensions as a result of the multiplier effect of the climate change.
1: Yes, I mean, uh, similar to Iraq, um, often in Yemen, when we discuss the conflict situation, we often talk about the parties to the conflict, the uh, armed actors, etc. And then we separately speak about the humanitarian response. We speak about um, a water scarcity, um, the, the need for water, the issues around landmines, etc., However, the connection between those elements have not been made until we started to look into the research. Um, And and to be honest, I mean, I have worked uh, on Yemen for the last more than 20 years. Um, It had not struck me as one of the most glaring issues, um, the issue of climate change and how it's it's impacted by conflict. But definitely now that we have done this research, we have found the two are linked uh, to a very large extent. The climate change and conflict are linked in the sense that they feed into each other and they also exacerbate each other. Uh, so, for example, what we have found that given this deterioration in the country situation of eight years of conflict, it meant that um, n- nothing or little is being done around climate, little is being done about the environmental de- devastation. Um, but then also at the same time, the conflict has led to a large influx of IDPs, into areas, into host communities. And that then led to situations where there's inter-conflict between the communities and, and the IDP communities as well. And, and that then put us in a situation where we now understand uh, that at least 4,000 people a year are killed uh, due to conflict on land and water issues only. And we're not counting those killed and injured in the, in the conflict itself. So, by far, it is now said to be the second biggest uh, killer or cause for injury and, and harm uh, amongst the population. So, in that sense, we're saying that they exacerbate each other, but then also they are feeding into each other. And we end up with a vicious circle where conflict and climate change are feeding into each other.
2: I think that for a lot of people, climate change is this thing that we think about as happening in the future. But what I see in a lot of uh, both of your research is that climate change is already something that civilians in Iraq and Yemen are experiencing and feeling the impact of. So you've talk, spoken a little bit about that. but can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit more about the impacts that civilians are experiencing now from
1: climate? when to sort of discussing you know this issue, I just wanted to first put how uh, climate change has affected Yemen generally. I mean, we have known that um, the temperatures in Yemen have increased about 1.8 degrees Celsius over the last 50 years. Uh, we also know that there's been severe floods, et- droughts, etc. And we have spoken to authorities that have told us that in some areas, not even a drop of water, uh, they're not even able to get a drop of water Um, and at some times they get uh, floodings, etc. So, this is, you know, happening in in all areas of Yemen. I mean, in the north, for example, Sana'a areas, uh, people in the past used to dig 180 meters to get water. Now, they dig to 1,000 meters and they're not able to get water. So, the water scarcity is getting worse. Now, in how this then impacts on people's lives is that we have seen that people are facing additional vulnerabilities. We are seeing that women, who usually are the ones who fetch water, they travel longer in order to fetch water, um, and and this also means that they some of them are younger girls, which means that they travel for longer and they miss out on school, uh, and this again means uh, it feeds into issues around early marriage that we know uh, already this is an existing issue in Yemen from, for a long time that has been exacerbated uh, by all these conflict um, issues.
3: When, when CIVIC established the community protection groups and specifically in Ninawa and Karkouk, we started empowering them to work for their own, uh, for the protection issues that they are facing.
2: And as a quick aside, The community protection groups that Ali is describing are civilian community groups that CIVIC supports in Iraq and other conflict-affected countries as part of what we call community-based protection work. That work is based in the fundamental belief that civilians aren't just victims of conflict, but people with agency and expertise about the conflicts they're living in and what they need to be safe. So CIVIC helps establish and works with these groups to advocate for their own protection needs with warring parties.
3: Part of those issues that we were trying to support them to address was the, uh, the people that are still unable to return back to their areas of origin. And when we digged more on uh, the reasons behind uh, what preventing them from returning back, we found that uh, lack of water and lack of arable lands and the good lands Uh, Is part of this and also lack of livelihood. When we digged more, we found in areas where uh, minorities are living with the rest of the segments of the community, we found that some of the powerful security actors are supporting A or B segment of the community to make use of the good lands, which is originally. Uh, belong to some of the minorities, leaving them with no livelihood or with no access to any livelihood. And this is because of the climate change and because of the shortage of water resources in Iraq. So the powerful or some of the security actors, they are using this in, in order to gain more power and to gain more revenues.
2: Can you both speak a little bit more to what you found in terms of how those changes you described are, you know, possibly leading to or could lead to in the future more conflict uh, and, of course, more harm to civilians?
3: As I said, that the climate change, uh, which occur in Iraq in in tandem with low water levels resulting from drought and also resulting from the international resource uh, conflicts, But mainly because of the chronic uh, domestic uh, mismanagement of natural resources. These are all contributing to security uh, vulnerabilities for civilians uh, uh, because of the effects of the climate change. But most notably, the change in livelihood and migration patterns. The migration From rural areas moving to the city, uh, really triggering a lot of conflict and intra as well as well as intercommunal tensions between the uh, newcomers and the communities there, over resources, over the uh, the already fatigued systems that the towns and cities are suffering. we met uh, villagers, farmers, boys, women, and girls in, in towns and rural areas. Uh, and we were eyewitness on how the climate uh, change impacted their lives.
2: Our teams have spoken with many civilians across Iraq and Yemen in an effort to understand how they have been impacted by climate change. Here's the experience of one civilian farmer
0: in Iraq. We suffer. From a lack of water. Several years passed with not much rain, and that has negatively affected the farmers and the economic sector as the lack of rain caused the drying up of groundwater. Lack of water has caused conflicts between countries. The water of tributaries of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers depends on the sources of the river that are located in neighboring countries. We are facing a lot of problems. Farmers started moving from villages to cities. It even affected animal husbandry as agriculture, and animal husbandry are co-related sectors. Those who used to have cows, cattle, and camels, they sold them and moved to cities.
3: Again, through working with communities uh, in, in the conflict-affected uh, governor race, when civic and uh, community protection groups uh, were meeting, were discussing, were uh, raising awareness uh, with the community, uh, usually boys and, and men were sharing with us a lot of stories on... How their lives changed due to the uh, uh, climate change, and why they they left the farming or the animal herding and joined formal or informal security sector rules. When we discuss with other organizations that are working with the, uh, gender-based violence and other. Uh, and working with with young girls and and with girls and young women on the early marriage issue uh, we found that uh, and also we heard from the community about it. We found that uh, it is raising as families struggle with decreased economic capacity uh, what we are what we were hearing from villagers and farmers that climate change is uh, increasing uh, the, uh, the security vulnerability for specific groups, and uh, specifically minorities and girls and women.
1: I think you know, now we're in the situation in Yemen where it's the largest humanitarian um, crisis in the entire world. Um, and has been now for quite a few years. Most of the support is going towards supporting really basic uh, assistance. Um, And as important as it is, um, not tackling climate issues will mean that those climate issues will only get worse, uh, as well as the conflict-related aspect of it will also get worse. And what we have seen as well is that because of the lack of livelihood that I think Ali's just touched on is, is also what we've seen seeing in Yemen is that it is leading to more recruitment um, into armed groups because um, you know, young men um, are struggling. Uh, to either farm their lands or even stay in their own communities and and the easiest job that there is at the moment uh, in Yemen is to join a, a, an armed group or an armed uh, force so that that is now also then has entered the cycle of violence as well and is also um, could also mean that we, we find uh, further issues uh, down the line. The other issue is the lack of awareness of the state as well um, in terms of climate change and the need to address it or put in place something now also means that um, that this is likely to be exacerbated further. And and also I think in terms of the the fatigue of the donors, I think that's something that is quite possible in Yemen. Uh, What we have now, yes, we have some response, but even that response could whittle down. And if it whittles down, the little that is being uh, distributed is going to be uh, even less, and that will in itself lead to further conflict uh, at community levels.
0: Wow. Okay, if if I understand Dina and Ali correctly, it seems like climate change is already having a very real and direct impact on conflict dynamics. Climate change is making parts of Yemen and Iraq practically uninhabitable and is decreasing communal resources, leading to conflict over resource scarcity. And they're also seeing related gendered impacts like an increase in early marriage of girls and increased recruitment of boys and young men to armed groups when climate change renders traditional agriculture and hurting jobs impossible.
2: Exactly. And while this isn't a connection that's necessarily receiving a lot of attention globally, Dina and Ali told me that for many Iraqi and Yemeni communities, it's actually a very present and pressing
1: issue. I think, you know, one thing that struck me while the research is ongoing, that when we spoke to communities, the communities were very clear about conflict and climate. Uh, they understand it well. They know it's one of the biggest issues that they face. Uh, actually, one of the IDPs in Ma'rib, in Sarwah district, he really framed it really well. It said it's a, he said it's a conflict trigger. And if there is not a conflict because of climate yet, there is a serious risk of uh, future uh, conflicts uh, happening in the country. So I think what is happening is that the communities understand it, the governments, international community, etc., have less awareness of it. Um, at the same time, although the communities know it about it, they have little tools to use in order to address it. And I think that circle needs to be squared in the sense that, A, our awareness as international community, as INGOs and also of the government of Yemen uh, needs to be clear in terms of of conflict and climate. And then also in terms of the communities, we need to make sure that we are giving them some tools uh, to see how they can actually address some of these issues as well. Uh, because at the moment, what we are seeing is just this is an ever-expanding uh, problem. And
2: that actually, you know, brings me really well to the next question. Um, you know, you're talking about the, the tools that are missing. Mm-hmm. You know, what can be done? I mean, after doing this research, what are our initial recommendations? What are the responsibilities uh, of states and armed actors in this situation?
3: Not only as, uh, uh, I mean... Uh, State and armed actors uh, should be part of the, uh, of the solution. Uh, however, the communities themselves should be, their resilience should be strength, their capacity should be strength in, in the way that they can face the uh, consequences of climate change on their safety and security and as well as, well, on the uh, livelihood side. Because uh, we need to acknowledge that climate change is shaping the future of of conflicts not only on the regional level but also on different local levels and this uh, multi layer intra and intercommunal tensions uh, big part of it is because uh, is, uh, are, is related to the climate change and we are in Iraq, we are uh, an eyewitness on this. And we in CIVIC, uh, we are looking at community-led solutions and how we can support these solutions uh, uh, for, uh, of uh, adaptation, and we are supporting the communities to strengthen their resilience when it comes to addressing the root causes of the climate-related uh, protection
1: threats. I think one thing in relation to Yemen, I think the focus has been on uh, also securing sustainable peace, which is very important as a first step. Uh, And also the other element was what I mentioned earlier around a humanitarian response. Uh, But I think, you know, what needs to happen now is what Ali was talking about earlier, is the working together element. And I think that's something we in Civic, we think that uh, climate crisis particularly in relation to Yemen is an opportunity for international and local actors to work together towards building a sustainable you know resource management governance um, and and also putting in place systems um, in relation to um, uh, climate change and then also environmental, devastation, degradation. So I think, you know, it's important that for the Yemeni government and the security actors to first synthesize themselves to the issues on climate change, um, have a, an action plan, a national action plan for climate issues. Uh, and then also they need to establish mechanisms or systems um, in order to, to address uh, some of the issues around uh, food, water, uh, livelihoods, etc., and then also the climate change um, as well. Uh, I think also for, in relation to peace, I think also for the envoy, it's important to prioritize and address the impact of uh, climate change and conflict as well, uh, as part of the bigger picture that he's l- looking at.
0: Dina is referring to the United Nations Special Envoy of the Secretary General for Yemen, who is tasked with providing support to the Yemen peace process.
1: I think for us um, as civic, I think it's very similar to what Ali mentioned. Uh, we need, given our uh, unique relationship with uh, security actors and armed forces, etc., what we need to do is to ensure that they understand the issue and synthesize them to it, and then also somehow work with them to train them if Conflict then in, erupts between communities, how they can deal with it in a way that protects uh, civilians, how they can uh, ensure that POC, uh, uh, protection of civilians, guidelines are adhered to uh, because the last thing we want is that then now these intercommunities violence are happening, then the security forces come into it and then they make it worse. So the idea is that a civic needs to come in at the right moment um, in order to avoid that situation from um, escalating or worsening. Uh, I think also it's important that we help and support uh, community protection groups, etc, to understand, you know, when something is happening, they need to be able to um, somehow raise the flag, you know, and and press the alarm button if something is, if if some issue climate-related is taking place. And I think that then brings us into having in place an effective early warning system that allows communities... Uh, to, to be, you know, outspoken uh, in terms of their own issues and then have their own agency around it as well. And I think there's a lot of work as we in civic can actually do in this regard.
2: And what do you both see as the consequences of inaction here?
1: You know, in Yemen, and I think it's most probably other areas as well. We are already seeing the consequences of inaction. It is happening in communities. The impact is there. Um, People are talking about it. They are letting us know that this is happening. So we're not speculating here in terms of the impact or consequence of inaction. I think what we're talking about here is further inaction could devastate matters more. We could easily find ourselves in a situation where a country like Yemen could become completely dry of any water, and then what we will do. Uh, so I think is, it is really the scale of the issue that um, that we will be facing if if inaction continues. Uh, and I think also we can also see it that. Yemen could be an example for other countries, for the rest of the world, of what the future may hold if climate change is not addressed, because we're already seeing the, the, the impact of it. Um, and I think that on, on the other hand, it's also an, an opportunity for everyone to work together as well. And, and we can see if we, how we can then tackle climate change, environmental degradation, together as international community, community leaders, civil society, and governmental entities as well.
0: Wow, Annie, I I have to say that those last remarks by Dina really hit me hard. She was saying that the problems and reality of climate change is already there in Yemen, and in Iraq, and elsewhere, and that all we can do at this point is not let its consequences get any worse then they already are.
2: Yeah, and there's actually a really striking quote from the civic researcher who wrote our Yemen climate report, Nico Jafarnia. She said, Even if the conflict in Yemen were to end today, Yemenis would have to prepare for another battle, the fight against climate change. And of course, the longer the war does continue, the harder that battle will be. So the conflict-climate link is real, and it's having real impacts already in Yemen, in Iraq, and so many other conflict-affected places.
0: And PAX has seen similar trends. In Ukraine, as we covered in an earlier episode, where environmental damage from the war will be felt for generations. And in South Sudan, where climate change is already contributing to serious humanitarian need and conflict over resource scarcity.
2: That's it for this episode. Next up on the Civilian Protection Podcast, we'll speak to people in South Sudan about their needs and expectations for protection, about how local authorities are and aren't meeting those needs, and the self-protection options that people turn to in the absence of state protection.
0: The Civilian Protection Podcast is brought to you by the Center for Civilians in Conflict and PACS, two NGOs working to improve the lives of civilians caught in conflict. Today's episode was written by Annie Scheel with assistance from Erin Bell, Mark Lasco Tate Mushinahama, and Hajar It was produced by the podcast Guru. Hajar and Tate Mushinahama made sure we're online. And we'd like to thank Ali Al-Asaf and Dina El-Mamoun of Civic for joining us as guests.
2: You can find us on Spotify or anywhere you get your podcasts. We want to hear from you. Share your thoughts on this episode or topics you'd like us to cover by emailing civilianprotectionpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at protectionpod to stay up to date on our episodes and guest speakers and to get behind the scenes content like full interviews. You can also find behind the scenes content and interviews on our YouTube channel, as well as slash podcast and protectioncivilians.org. Thanks for listening.